<laughs> All right. So we're going to get started uh, with today's live. Thanks so much for joining us for part one of our Abolish the Death Penalty series. Uh, this is an ongoing part of our Criminal Justice Live series. And tonight we're going to be talking about the death penalty. Um, it's an outdated, racist, and barbaric practice that sets the U.S. apart from the rest of the globe. Um, it's not about justice. It's about state-sponsored murder. So we're going to get into that. Um, I'm Bree. Uh, I'm a writer here at Push Black and a co-host of State of Criminal Justice, um, our digital series. Hey, hey, and I'm Darren, and I work with Push Black on their video production side of things, and I'm happy to be here hosting tonight's live. Uh, so let's just jump right into it, Bree. I'm curious, just to kind of historically ground us, could you share a little bit about the lineage of the death penalty as it relates to the U.S.? Yeah, so just to like frame the convo from here, um, Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative calls the death penalty the stepchild of lynching. So what a way to start, um, but here's how. More than eight in 10 lynchings between 1889 and 1918 and legal executions since 1976 have occurred in the South. And thousands Wow. Lynchings, yeah. Thousands of these lynchings went uncounted by the federal government, and federal executions weren't even recorded until 1930. Um, so there's only records of these horrific lynchings thanks to activists like Ida B. Wells and institutions like the Tuskegee Institute. Uh, so basically, there's a long-standing history of them killing us and getting away with it. Um, and there's an unmistakable link between these lynchings and early executions um, and today's death penalty because both are used as a form of racial control. Um, uh, oh, yeah. um, wow. We're going to keep getting to it. So now that we understand a bit of the roots um, of this practice, Darren, can you tell us a little bit about what makes the U U.S. unique and how it practices the death penalty? Uh, well, there are like two main ways that the U.S. is unique in how it practices the death penalty. Uh, the first is the actual rate of execution in the U.S. compared to other larger countries. And then the second, um, which you kind of already alluded to, is the racial bias of the death penalty in victims and in sentencing. So just thinking a little bit about that first point, about 1,500 people have been executed in the U.S. since the 1970s alone. And around 56 countries carry out executions, while nearly twice as many don't. So of the nations that don't, some have even banned this practice for over a century, while others have banned it for several decades. Wow. So now just thinking about the racial bias aspect, I know it's wild how dated we are here. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And thinking about some of these heroine statistics as they relate to the racial bias that's implicit to the death penalty. So the AP actually reports in 2019, 52% of death row inmates were black. Mm -hmm. A recent study also found that defendants convicted of killing white victims were executed at a rate of 17 times greater than those convicted of killing black victims, right? So we see whose life has value as it's seen through our racist criminal justice system. But also since 1973, more than 185 people have been released from death row with evidence of their innocence. And just to kind of crystallize this, I wanted to introduce this story of uh, George Stinney Jr. for those who may be unfamiliar. Uh, so Judge George Stinney Jr. Uh, was the youngest person to be executed in the United States at age 14 for allegedly murdering two white girls. Stinney's conviction was vacated in 2014, 70 years after he was executed when a court ruled that he had not received a fair trial. This occurred in South Carolina, just for context as well. 
he was prepared or he was um he was prepared for execution by electric chair. However, he was only 14 years old, so they actually needed a Bible as a booster seat for him so he could actually fit in that draconian contraption known as the electric chair. And I really feel like his story really underscores how cruel and unusual this practice is. And just thinking about how cruel and unusual the death penalty is, I'm wondering, Bree, if you could explain or just share with us how the execution of Clayton Lockett actually shifted the discourse around the practice of the death penalty here. Yeah. I need a breath after that because I can't believe that he was 14. He couldn't even fit in it. Wow. Um, so, yeah, um, in another side of the cruel and unusual punishment, um, Clayton Lockett in 2014, um, he had a botched execution. Um, there's a drug that they use called midazolam. Uh, and it's basically used to produce sleepiness or drowsiness, relieve anxiety before it has uh, like a major surgery or something. And so this is what they were using to inject in him. And it went wrong. CNN reports that the execution team didn't have the size needles that they needed. They couldn't find uh, veins his veins that would work and the drugs didn't start taking effect when they thought they would. So he was wow. tortured. Um, and so drug cocktails used to execute prisoners. Oops, sorry, can you see me? Okay, yes. my bad. Drug cocktails oh. to execute prisoners were impeded because drug companies refused to supply states that were using drugs for executions. And so Vox reports uh, that as pharmaceutical companies either stopped supplying drugs or when, or they were unable to export to the US, um, states began looking for new and sometimes untested ways to execute prisoners when they couldn't get their hands on these drugs. Oh my gosh. And they were experimenting um, with people's lives. Um, and so, yeah. The appeal notes that Oklahoma approved the use of nitri nitrogen for capital punishment in 2015. Yes, Mississippi and Alabama quickly followed in 2017, also approving nitrogen for executions. Um, but none of the states have actually come up with a way to use it, but it's approved. Uh, other states have considered more archaic measures like the electric chair, firing squads, which Utah reinstated in 2015, and they actually used in 2010. So this is... Oh, my God. Very, very recent. Yeah. Um, and the problems have caused a major decline. Only eight states have carried out executions in 2018. And currently, right now, 29 states practice execution, 21 don't, um, and four have a moratorium um, in executions. And so now that we've talked about the cruel and unusual punishments used by some states, um, Darren, can you talk to us a little bit more about executions and are they relatively swift and painless? Um, well, no. No execution is painless, uh, whether botched or not, and all executions, as you just pointed out, are certainly cruel. Punishment is really replete with examples of uh, botched executions. So, for instance, you mentioned all those terrible kind of tactics that they're kind of trying to revive, but lethal injection is supposedly the latest technique in a progressive way of, I don't know, state-sponsored killing. Um, but although this method is defended as being more humane or more efficient and inexpensive compared to other methods, one federal judge actually observed that even a slight error in dosage or administration can leave a prisoner conscious but paralyzed while dying, a sentient witness in their own asphyxiation. In 2006, 
it took the Florida Department of Corrections 34 minutes to execute a procedure. So Angel Diaz um, was executed by lethal injection, and this is usually typically like a 15-minute procedure. However, this lasted 34 minutes. During the execution, Diaz appeared to be in pain, and he gasped for more than 11 minutes. He was given a rare second dose of lethal chemicals after the, the execution team observed that the first round didn't kill him. So the medical examiner actually reported that the second dose was needed because the needles were incorrectly inserted in his veins. So not only did Diaz die a slow and excruciating death because the drugs weren't even delivered to his veins properly, but his autopsy actually revealed that he suffered 12-inch chemical burns of the highly concentrated drugs flowing through his skin. Um, yes, so I, I, yeah, I'm sorry uh, to bring in all like these kind of graphic and grotesque kind of narratives, but I really feel like they really crystallize how cruel and unusual this practice is. And as you mentioned earlier, Bri, it really amounts to torture in a lot of cases. Yeah. Very much so. I just think, like, from what we've discussed so far, we can really draw the conclusion that, like, <laughs> the w reasons they give us for justifying the death penalty don't add up. Nothing's adding up because y'all are saying that this is the way to do it and it's and it's humane, but it's not even be done being done correctly. Not that it should be. Yeah. So in the process of killing people, we're torturing them, and so. It just further proves that it all got to go, you know? Yeah, yes, yes, it does, yo. Um, something you just mentioned, um, it reminds me. Uh, well, first, I want to ask the audience, definitely chime in if you have any questions. Please drop them in. Uh, we'll try to get to them as quickly as possible. Um, but we definitely want you to be a part of this conversation as well. Um, but I'm just thinking, we've talked about how cruel and unusual this is. And we've talked about how the death penalty is historically rooted in racist practices such as lynching. Um, it really raises the question for me, Bree, um, does the death penalty deter crime at all? Like, is it effective at delivering justice? Like, how do you understand this? Yeah, good question. So according to the American Civil Liberties Union, there's no credible evidence that the death penalty deters crime more effectively than long terms of imprisonment. Um, so states that, yeah, states that do have the death penalty laws, um, sorry, states that have death penalty laws don't have lower crime rates or murder rates than states without the laws. And states that have abolished capital punishment show no significant changes in their crime or murder rates. So it's doing nothing. Um, wow. Yeah. And with all that being said, right, um, what is the public? What do people say and feel about the death penalty? Yeah, yeah. Great question. Um, so actually, we came across a 2010 poll staged by the Lake Research Partners, and they found that a clear majority of voters, around 61 percent, would actually choose a punishment other than the death penalty for murder. In addition to this, according to a 2020 Gallup poll on American attitudes about capital punishment, public support for the death penalty is at its lowest in half a century, with opposition higher than any other time since the 1960s. And lastly, uh, 2009, I know, let's, let's clap it up for that. Opinions are changing. That's great. So a 2009 poll commissioned by, oh, this is very, very interesting, Bree. So a 2009 poll commissioned by the Death Penalty Information Center, they actually found that police chiefs, right, police chiefs, ranked the death penalty last among ways to reduce violent crime. 
The police chiefs also considered the death penalty the least efficient use of taxpayers' money. And I don't know about you, Bree, that, that um, finding actually really took me back because uh, police waste a lot of money, as we often talk about through this program. Um, but for them to recognize how inefficient and how much of a waste of taxpayers' money it is, and just the fact that it doesn't deter any sort of violent crime whatsoever. So it just begs the question, like, what is this actually for? Um, so, yeah, I would just ask you just quite specifically, Bree, like, do you think the death penalty achieves or delivers justice in any capacity at all? Yeah. So it's a no, just like everything is spelled here. Um, as we know from its roots down to what's happening now, the death penalty has more to do with race, power, and the enforcing of white supremacy and control than it does actual justice, much like the entire system itself, right? So the death penalty is more of a tool for control that allows corrupt governments, like the U.S., uh, to use executions for their own purposes. So in the case of this country, we know the death penalty uh, disproportionately affects our people. Therefore, it's a form of racial control. Um, and where's the justice in that? So with a system as, yes. you know, as this one, there's no way that the death penalty could be uh, humane or actually deliver justice. Um, yes, we have a, a, oh, I'm sorry, Bri. What's no, that? you can go ahead. With no. Yeah, no, no, I just came across a wonderful question in our chat. Um, someone asked, what do you think of people that prefer the death penalty over a life sentence? Ooh, very tough question, very tough question. Um, but what you just mentioned, Bree, some of those darling statistics around, like, whether or not the death penalty actually, like, achieves justice, um, it really just shows that often, too often, um, race plays a role into who gets determined to die and who gets sentenced to life. Um, in terms of families who have received or are or thinking of repairing harm through the state, uh, specifically the death penalty, um, I would question or I would, you know what, we have a resource that we're going to share with folks coming up. Um, there's actually a group of families who've lost their loved ones um, to violent crime who are actually against the death penalty. Uh, I would encourage families to kind of convene with others to see how it is that they heal after a violent tragic incident, right? Um, and then also, um, yeah, again, the death penalty, because it just wastes so much money. Um, and often they occur like decades after the original crime has occurred. Uh, I really do question um, what sort of restoration has taken place when a family or someone chooses the death penalty um, over preferring like the life sentence. But I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Uh, you have any thoughts around that, Bree, for families or folks who choose the death penalty over life sentencing? Yeah, I mean, just to, to go back to what we already talked about here, like maybe people think that they prefer the death penalty over a life sentence until you know how many death penalties are botched and don't actually go the way that they're supposed to. So it's like, would you pick that if you knew that for 11 minutes, just like uh, the man that we talked about earlier was gasping for air for 11 minutes you know what i mean and so yeah i think it's safe to say that one is not better than the other and in both shouldn't exist <laughs> yeah yes thank you thank you for bringing abolition back to the conversation it's not an either or we don't have to choose life sentence or death penalty right there has to be some other options to kind of truly restore and repair the harm that's been taking place yeah. yes <laughs> yes. Feel free to drop any other questions that you may have, folks. Yeah. All right.
And so as we keep going, um, Darren mentioned sharing some resources so um, that y'all can get some more information. So what resources can folks access, access to learn more about the failures of the death penalty? All right. So that's a wonderful question. And there's a plethora of information out there. I just want to share two resources with folks today. One actually is from Oscar winning actress Viola Davis. So she executive produced The Last Defense. So The Last Defense is a 2018 seven episode documentary series exposing the flaws of the U.S. justice system through the personal narratives of death row prisoners, specifically Darlie Rodier and Julius Jones, who both maintain their innocence until this day. So I highly encourage folks to check out that series. Also, please look into the Death Penalty Information Center. So the Death Penalty Information Center is a national nonprofit organization serving media and the public with analysis and information on issues concerning capital punishment. The center produces groundbreaking reports concerning capital punishment um, and not well, various issues tangentially related to capital punishment as well, such as its arbitrariness, its cost, which we've mentioned plenty of times here, uh, the innocence rates of persons who actually get sentenced to death, and also the racial disparity within that practice. So they offer a wide variety of multimedia resources, such as free online educational curricula, and they have a podcast titled DPIC on the Issues. And for folks wanting to learn more about them, they can be found at deathpenaltyinfo.org. All right, Bree, did you have any resources you want to share with folks today? Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So another one is um, another good one for folks wanting to get more, even more involved in the fight to end capital punishment. Uh, you should be sure to look into the National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. Um, they are the nation's oldest organization dedicated exclusively to abolition of the death penalty. And uh, they're, they lead the national movement um, against the death penalty, uh, which is fueled by a broad-based national constituency. And they have more than 100 affiliate organizations. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so they're big deal and a great place to go for information. What I find particularly remarkable about this group is that they are, as Darren mentioned earlier, they're the families of murder victims. So there's persons from all points um, on the political and religious spectrums, past and present law enforcement officials, and prominent civil and racial justice organizations, all working together to repeal the death penalty state by state. So you're getting perspectives from all people and all sides. Um, and Wow. Find them at www.ncadp.org. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, let me just check and see if we have like any other questions popping up. I don't see anything on my end. Looks like one more. Uh, okay. Someone said, what about the suffering of the victims that they cared less of? I don't know if I know what that means. The suffering of the victims that they care. So, like the the the, the families of uh, victims to like violent crime or the victims of the death penalty. Um, yeah, often, um, you know, plenty of people feel, and this is a very long kind of carceral history of thinking about. Um, I don't know, replicating harm as a way of justice or uh, thinking through forgiveness. Um, but it just falls completely flat when we see how it operates, right? Like through these systems. Um, I've yet to kind of encounter a family who says that they feel healed and whole after an execution. They may be out there, but I haven't encountered that. Um, yeah, so I don't think um, we can assuage or treat the harm of families 
who've suffered a tragic violent history. Um, I don't think we can treat that through like further harm perpetuated by the state whatsoever. Um, but I may be misreading that question wrong. So I don't know if that folks, the person who asked that they want to rephrase it, we'd love to get into that again. Um, if not, we're open for more questions. I don't know, Brie, how did you kind of understand that question? Honestly, I'm gonna go with what you said because I need a little more context. I didn't really understand the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all good. Yeah. No, well, you know, we see through these historical and contemporary examples how capital punishment only reaffirms the state's power to kill, to determine who's worthy of death and who's worthy of redemption. So considering the overwhelming racial disparity in sentencing within our white supremacist legal system, whereby blackness is almost inherently framed as criminal, abolition really appears as the most liberatory path forward for creating a just world for black folk. I truly believe, and not just myself, we at Push Black, we truly believe that reparative, restorative, and transformative processes that reimagine what justice could look like beyond calling for further harm perpetuated by the state, um, I invite us all to participate in this reimagining of justice. Um, so thank you all so much for taking time to learn more about the death penalty for folks working against it. Um, and feel free to follow up with any questions. We look forward to continuing this conversation in the oncoming weeks. Yeah, a word. Thank you. Um, last thing I have to say, somebody asked, is there a way to get a transcript of this live um, for their Facebook group? And so every time we go live, uh, for our criminal justice series and all of our series, we will upload this video to IGT IGTV right after. So you can catch the replay immediately and share it with your family and friends and anybody who needs to learn more about this, which is everybody. So yeah, thanks so much for tuning in y'all and we'll catch y'all next Tuesday, same time. All right, thank y'all. Good night. Good night.